Getting Better Healthcare is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. Today's show is the third in a series of shows dedicated to understanding our healthcare system from the perspective of someone who has a passionate commitment to private practice, somebody who believes that there needs to be a direct relationship between patients and their doctors without third-party intrusion in order for there to be a great medical care system, not just for there to be great medical care for patients, but also to avoid all the crazy problems we're having in our healthcare system with regard to both cost and quality. We're continuing our discussion today with Dr. Richard Ammerling, practicing nephrologist and a director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Dr. Ammerling, you have written the Physician's Declaration of Independence. Uh, tell us about that. Well, years ago, I felt that um, this third-party system was sending us to the bottom and that the only way to, for doctors to make a change in this was to declare independence from the system. And my, my idea was that if doctors unilaterally withdrew from this system and simply went back to what we had years ago, which was we would get paid directly by our patients, and then they would have an insurance policy that they could bill for whatever we did, uh, that that would dramatically improve the practice of medicine and insulate the medical profession from being manipulated. So I set, I set to write a document that was based very closely on our founding document, the Declaration of Independence. So I wrote uh, a treatise uh, copying their style, copying their, their grammar and their usage of words and capitalizations, and I, I published it on the AAPS uh, website. And th this goes back to, I think, 2004 that I wrote, or 2005, and I've updated it a few times because, you know, I list all the grievances, and the grievances have only increased. <clears throat> and the latest grievance, of course, is Obamacare. And Obamacare truly is the end of private medical practice unless we declare independence. Um, you may have to explain to me the impact of the, um, uh, of the legislation that President Obama supported, because I understood that it maintains private practice, it maintains private insurance, but it helps attempt to guarantee that everybody have access to that. Right. Uh, yeah, it doesn't outlaw private practice. It just makes it extremely difficult to stay in private practice. 
uh, and and we are we are actually witnessing uh, something else. I've been I've written about a migration of doctors out of private practice back into hospital-run systems. Uh, largely, this is because of increasing regulatory burden, a requirement, for example, to go to an electronic health record. Well, that's an expensive proposition, and it takes time and energy to try to figure out how to make that work. Um, increasing reporting requirements to get uh, better levels of pay. This is so-called pay for performance. It's, it's overwhelming to private physicians to try to do this. And, of course, another major driver is uh, malpractice insurance. And malpractice insurance premiums have been going up 10 to 20% per year in certain specialties. So who can afford to keep up? Your reimbursements are capped by the price controls from the different payers. You're hitting the max in terms of the volume that you can possibly see. Uh, your quality of life is way down. Uh, so doctors are saying, I've had it. Uh, I'm either going to retire early or I'm going to go into the hospital where they can cover my malpractice and cover my operating expenses. And fun fundamentally, I'll work for them. Now, something I'm, uh, you're going to have to explain to me, because if you're in private practice, you're going to be more efficient. You're going to work harder um, because there's, there's greater incentive. You move into the hospital you lose all those incentives, so you're going to work less hard, so there's less money coming in. And, and so, so how can that be a – and then presumably you're going to have to pay, in addition to your state, federal, and local taxes, you're going to have to pay taxes to the dean of the medical center, to the president of the hospital system. They're going to take money from you. They're not going to – they don't print money. So how is it – how are you better off in that hospital system? It seems like that that, that – adds yet another level of inefficiency um, that will make your take-home pay that much lower? Well, it does add, add inefficiency. Um, I believe that the people who are doing this are making the calculation that it is going to uh, perhaps cut down their take-home pay a bit, but it will gr greatly improve their quality of life because they're not going to have to worry about running the business aspect of the practice with the increasing regulatory issues and burdens. Uh, they're not going to have to worry about making payroll, about paying uh, for health benefits for their employees. All this stuff is taken out of their hands. So, yeah, maybe they'll make less, but they will have more free time. Um, they'll have uh, easier time in terms of their, their, their work hours. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a negative for patients. The patients are going to not have the same access to their physicians as they once did. Uh, they're going to be waiting longer to see them. They're, the conditions of the office may deteriorate. In other words, it's going to be a loss of quality for sure for patients. Yeah, but, they'll, and, the, the, but, yeah. but their cholesterol numbers will be checked more carefully, right? <laughs> Yeah, all these quality indicators, which have nothing to do with real quality, uh, will may improve. I mean, that's this is this is the vision: is that they are going to have metrics in place that will that will prove to them in a circular way that quality is improving. In other words, if they get more of their numbers to line up, uh, they're going to say, "See, you know, quality of care has gone up." It doesn't matter that patients are unhappy. It doesn't matter that patients are not seeing much of their physician or their, their uh, nurse. Uh, they are going to uh, 
have better numbers, therefore the quality is better. Why? Because their numbers are better, because we say that that's, that's the marker of quality. You know, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, in a circular way of, way of reasoning. But I imagine if there were two or three or four large health systems that were competing with another, then they would compete for patients on price and quality. And, you know, it might be like when I buy an iPad, you know, I don't buy each of the individual components and say, oh, I want the best processor and I want the best screen. I count on Apple to put it all together for me and compete on price and quality. Is it possible that healthcare systems would compete with one another on those same kind of basis? Absolutely, and they do, and they do. I mean, hospitals compete, and they have been for years. And hospitals that maintain a commitment to uh, practice, to the practice of medicine, uh, will do better in the long run, I believe. I mean, if, if I were a hospital administrator, the, the most important expenditures are physicians and nurses, because these are the people that provide the care on the front line. And you would want to set up their reimbursement so that they're going to be maximally motivated to see patients and actually take care of them. Hospitals and other systems that don't do this will not do as well. So, yeah, there are, there are systems. It's not like this is a new concept. Uh, the accountable care organization is the new buzzword. And when you look at how these are going to be set up, they, ha they re have to be uh, set up with a large administrative component. You can't just have a group of doctors pull themselves together and say, we want to be an accountable care organization. They're going to have to hire an administrative staff. So you already are spending money that is probably unnecessary. You know, the, the administrators in, in a, an office practice, why do you really need one? I mean, the most efficient model is truly the private practitioner who sees his patient, gets paid by them directly. They don't have a billing staff. They don't have a whole operations staff. <clears throat> That's the most efficient model. The bigger you get, the less efficient you get. You know, I'm, and, I'm a big believer in, 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 in empowering patients with the, with the money, but I'm beginning to wonder as we talk, you know, if I look at Apple, would you argue that Apple's administration is a waste of money. I mean, it seems like in a big business you have to you have to pay the for the administrative aspects of the. Well, I, I I can guarantee you that the administrative staff at a place like Apple is pretty streamlined. Um, you know what happens in hospitals? I've observed over the years is that the administrative staff tends to grow. Uh, you know, this is the way bureaucracies function. If if you don't have a market system providing discipline, um, then things tend to get out of hand, and you, administrators end up hiring people to do what they were originally hired to do. And so the, the, the uh, administrative staff grows. They can also kind of determine their own salaries. Those tend to grow. Um, they don't really create value in the system. They don't bring in patients, per se. Okay, they don't really do the care that, that brings in the revenue. So the revenue is generated by the physician population. Uh, I, you know, for, I looked at the pie charts, the expense pie and, and where the money comes from. In the typical hospital, uh, virtually all the money is coming from 
the payers, Medicare, Medicaid, other payers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they're, get, they're paying for services. The services are done on patients who are brought into the hospital mostly, mostly by physicians, or some, of course, walk into the emergency room. Uh, the physician component of the expense pie is generally around 10%. So 10% of the expense pie in the hospital is generating 90% of the revenue. Then you look at the sector of uh, administrators, which goes under usually other <laughs> other expenses, and that's 30 to 40%. So you have 30 or 40% of the expense pie doing what exactly? You know, if this were really a competitive environment in terms of market discipline, uh, things would be much more streamlined. You know, you can run a hospital with a lot fewer people than I believe are currently uh, running hospitals. The, um, the oversight of hospitals, I believe, tends to be fairly lax. Uh, they have a board of trustees. They, you know, they, they look here and there. They end up being called upon to donate money to sort of bail them out during bad times. They have a huge burden with the union and the hospital workers union in new york at least is very powerful and they get these uh productivity raises every few years but of course there is never any real increase in productivity so they, it's not a real market system in other words it's not like apple uh it's not like the private sector i mean apple is a great example of an incredibly uh, innovative company that uh, exists, in my view, because there's, com- there's competition out there. And there's competition for the, their products, and there's competition for uh, their stock. So they have to provide value, which comes from ongoing innovation and, and product development. Uh, and they're a model company. I, of course, they have administrators. They've got a lot of... Uh, <laughs> they probably have a whole bunch of lawyers and people that are dealing with their taxes and all that stuff, and there's a lot of administrative costs that's imposed by the government at many levels. And that, of course, you know, detracts from their profitability and detracts from uh, us, ultimately, you know, because we've got to pay for all that when we buy our iPads. Dr. Amerling, thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Steve, great talking with you. If you've been listening to our program over the past three weeks, then you have heard an impassioned defense of the need for direct patient-doctor interactions, not just in the decisions about what treatments are going to be done, but in terms of paying the doctor, that incentives are important in driving people's behaviors. I'm not sure this is the only way to look at it, but I think there's a lot of logic to it. I think the more patients are involved in making their medical decisions, the more likely we are going to have rational, cost-effective decisions being made. We, we don't live in a world of infinite resources where everybody can have everything they want, and therefore, with respect to health care, we're either going to have patients um, deciding about their health care dollars or somebody else is going to do it for them. And Dr. Ammerling, I think makes it clear why it really has to be people themselves making those decisions, that we can't put it into the hands of bureaucrats because not only will they make decisions that may not be wise for us, 
Not only may they make decisions that limit and ration the care that we have, but we also disincentivize physicians from being the best possible doctors they can be. Now, I think doctors have tremendous internal motivations, but economic incentives do drive people's behavior, and I think we need to recognize that. Well, we'll probably explore this more in future episodes. In the meantime, I want to thank you uh, for listening in. Getting Better Healthcare has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare. 